0: Well, hello and welcome to The Wednesday Word. This is the Desert Spring Church podcast coming to you from Desert Spring United Methodist Church in Las Vegas, Nevada. My name is Julie Hart. I serve as the Director of Connectional Ministries here at the church and also as the podcast host for The Wednesday Word. Uh, So we've been doing a letter writing thing here for a while. I believe this is week four, uh, no week five of our letter writing series. And um, I'm really excited about this. I kind of have gotten on a letter kick and I'm very um, happy that you're coming along with me. Uh, So we, Phyllis Murray and I are getting ready to, uh, in December, start a letter writing workshop that we hope that you'll be a part of. And so we kicked off this podcast series and then I was able to share a couple weeks worth of, yeah, I know y'all, they were long, uh, reading letters from boot camp with my son, Louie, which was a real treat. And so this is week two of reading some letters to children that were written by uh, people in history. And we're going to go ahead and pick back up where we left off and hope that you enjoy this for our, uh, this will be the last week of our letter writing series. A series will probably pick up somewhere along the way a little bit later. But uh, after this, we will be going into the Wesleyan Way, a disciple's path. And next week, uh, talking about um, prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness, the Wesleyan Way. But for now, let's get back to Letters to Our Children. Okay, so next we go to the Naval Officer and Historian. Alfred Thayer Mahan to his daughter Helen Evans Mahan. Uh, his daughter is 17 years old at the time of writing this letter. So I'm, I'm not going to read the whole letter, but we're going to get a ways into it here and pick up where he says, Now, as to the means of gaining this better nature, it is necessary to distinguish between your parts and God's parts. Your part is to give care and thought as to your loving duty to others, and then to try earnestly and carry it out. First of all, in your home, next, amongst your other relatives, then extending to others about you. For instance, at Bar Harbor, there is Granny and Marianne. The former can go about but little, and though she has many friends who either from nature affection, or Christian kindness go to see her yet every little visit is an incident and a pleasure in her day. I know that she has shown such a very marked potentiality for Lyle that it is not to be wondered at as she has lost the affection of her own grandchildren, but the evidence of her love for you is not the measure of your duty and kindness to her. Go to see her frequently and not grudgingly or out of necessity, remembering that God loves a cheerful giver. This is less hard than you may think. A moment of prayer and effort of the will will scatter all sense of inconvenience and reluctance. But doing this and such things like this, though necessary, will not of themselves give you the spirit of love which you desire. They are external acts, though good acts, and are of the nature of those works of which St. Paul says they cannot save us. They are done against our nature, which seeks its own welfare or pleasure, rather than that of another person. Whereas that which we are to desire is the change of heart or change of nature, though which we naturally and without effort do right and kind things. By our present nature, we seek self. By our new nature, we shall seek the good of others. Here you may see value of that instance which I have used, of Rosie's love to her mother, Rosie doubtless dislikes some people and is indifferent to many, but in one particular, she affords a very beautiful example of what her redeemed and new nature will be. She does her kindness to her mother, not because she ought to, but because she loves her by nature. Her acts of kindness, therefore, are not works, but fruits. They spring naturally from what she is, and therefore... Though not meritorious, they are evidence of character that, in a particular, is lovely. Such a change of nature from indifference to love like this is beyond a man's power. Work we can do, but change our nature we cannot. This is God part, God's part. He requires of us our will and wish, which, if we have, we will doubtless do works of love, but do what we will. He only can change the heart. Therefore, to become what you wish, to have kindly interest and sympathy with others, you must first do works of kindness. Second, pray continually to God and change your nature in this respect and give you a loving heart. It will take time, but never despair of it. I believe you do try not to have unkind feelings toward others, But don't stop content with that. Aim at having kind interest in them. Uh, A little bit later, he goes on to say, remember that life is not only uncertain, but that it is short. You may or may not have a life of average length, but even if you live long, at the longest, life is short. And long before it, it ends, pleasure ceases to please. And at the end, but one thing gives pleasure. And that is the nature which, having been renewed by God, brings forth those fruits which are pleasant here love joy, peace, and which endure beyond the grave lovingly a t m ah, oh, I love this, I love this uh uh speaking of the fruit of the spirit that um that comes from God um so many great great uh words of advice in there and uh which comes from the bible okay so the next letter up uh on deck here is theodore roosevelt to his youngest son quentin roosevelt this is the beginning of um world war 1 uh he had four sons uh the three oldest ted kermit and archie served uh, all four served actually uh, but the first three were already married when they when they went to serve. And Quentin, uh, who also served, uh, was uh, engaged but not married when he um, left to serve in the war. And so he gets some fatherly advice from Theodore Roosevelt about uh, corresponding with his fiancée. And he says, Dearest Quentin, Mother, the adamantine has stopped writing to you because you have not written to her or to any of us for a long time. That will make no permanent difference to you. But I write about something that may make a permanent difference. Flora spoke to Ethel yesterday of the fact that you only wrote rarely to her. She made no complaint, whatever. But she knows that some of her friends receive three or four letters a week from their lovers or husbands Archie writes Gracie rather more often than this, exceedingly interesting letters. Now, of course, you may not keep Flora anyhow, but if you wish to lose her, continue to be an infrequent correspondent. If however you wish to keep her, write her letters, interesting letters and love letters, at least three times a week. Write no matter how tired you are, no matter how inconvenient it is. Write. If it's you're smashed up in a hospital, right? If it's what you're doing is the most dangerous stunts, right? When your work is most irksome and disheartening, write all of the time. Write enough letters to allow for half being lost. Affectionately, a a hardened and wary old father, (laughs) Theodore Roosevelt. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, better write, kid. Sadly, however, uh that was a letter that was written March 17th in 1918 and on July 14th of that same year Quentin was killed at the age of 20 years old. Okay, this next letter is uh written uh April 26th and 19 uh, April 28th of 1926 by Richard E. Bird to um son, Richard E. Byrd, Jr. Uh, Richard Jr. was six years old at the time. Richard E. Byrd, Sr., commander of the uh, SS Chantier, and had been in Norway in some pretty rough seas with ice and snow and all sorts of elements and was about to fly over the North Pole in, in kind of treacherous conditions. So it's a letter written, um, you know, clearly not sure if he was going to survive uh, that. So I'm going to read this one almost in its entirety. Um, Here we go. My precious boy, this letter is to be read twice by you on your eighth birthday. Then again, on your 14th birthday, your 16th and once more every four years after that i want to tell you about your mother and i am riding at sea in my cabin the sea is very rough and icy winds are blowing from the ice fields of the polar sea we arrive at king's bay tomorrow and from there i am to take a hazardous airplane flight over the polar sea which is cold and a frozen ocean if by hard luck i do not get back this is my farewell to you my dear boy which i know you will take very seriously and all your life, I hope you try to follow what I ask you to do. When you reach manhood, I i will be only a vague memory to you, like a dream it will be. But now I am a very real factor in your life. Your sweet mother can tell you how I adore you. But even she does not realize the depth of my affection for you. You are everything a son should be, devoted, unselfish, thoughtful, generous, and honorable with an unusual sense of justice. You have, I am very thankful to say, many of your mother's traits. Your mother has been perfect to you, absolutely devoted, unselfish, and untiring where you are concerned. She has sacrificed herself for you ever since you were born. And what I like most about you is that you appreciate her and love her above everything. You call her sweet mommy. And every day when you return from playing outside, you bring her something. When you walk with her, you walk outside nearest the street to protect her from automobiles. You help her cross the street and warn her not to stumble over stones, etc. Those little things, my boy, show that you are made of the right stuff. It is infinitely gratifying to me that you have sense enough and character enough to appreciate your mother. You have made her very happy. She may not need your help now, but if I do not come back home, she will need your help. You will have to take my place as much as you can. I have loved your mother since we were little children, and I have never known her to do an unkind or unjust thing. She is the sweetest, purest human I have ever known or ever heard of. She is an angel, too good. I am afraid for this world, my boy. I worship her. She is the kind who never hesitates to sacrifice herself for those she loves and then think nothing of it, nor look for credit. Youth is cruel and thoughtless and has little consideration for age, but I believe you will be an exception to this rule. I believe that you will always try to help your mother over the rough places, just as you would like you do even now as a child. She is very, very proud of you. So don't let shadow or stain ever darken your name. Anything dishonorable that you would do would break her heart. Whatever comes up, you will find her the best sport you have ever known. I've never met a man whose sense of fair play and sportsmanship equals hers. She is a thoroughbred, every inch of her. My last word to you, my boy, are to beg you to concentrate on your life of two things. First, to understand, cherish, and protect your mother. And second, to emulate her in all matters. Model yourself as much as you can after her, for she is the finest person in the world. Don't forget the small attentions. Don't stop bringing her things when you go away and come back to her. If you marry, for God's sake, don't select a woman who will not like your mother, or who will come in between you and her. Women are jealous of each other especially a wife of a mother. Don't marry too hastily. Your mother has an extraordinarily logical mind, so you cannot go wrong if you always take her advice. I have done so as a rule, and she has never made a mistake. Dickie, old boy, do what your mother wants you to do. She is the only one in the world who will advise you with your own good in view. But don't let her be too unselfish with you as she has been with me. And so, my boy, I will end where I began. Follow your mother's advice and try to make yourself as much as possible like her with a great sense of honor. She is the very soul of honor. Remember always that whatever she does is right. She can do no wrong. You and I want her happiness more than anything else in the world. Therefore, whatever she may do to make her happy, you must back up wholeheartedly. Always put honor and your mother first. Goodbye, my darling boy. Your devoted father, Richard E. Byrd Jr. I I am happy to report that he Commander Bird did make it back from that treacherous trip and um, returned home to see his son and his beloved wife. Okay. Uh, next up, we have a letter. From John Steinbach, obviously famous author, uh, uh, Mice and Man and Grapes of Wrath, writing a letter to his oldest son, who was 14 years old at the time, named Tom. Dear Tom, we had your letters this morning. I will answer it from my point of view. And of course, Elaine will from hers. Elaine is his third wife, but I do not believe the mother of Tom. First, if you are in love, that's a good thing. That's about the best thing that can happen to anyone. Don't let anyone make it small or light to you. Second, there are several kinds of love. One is a selfless, a selfish, mean, grasping, egotistical thing which uses love for self importance. This is the ugly and crippling kind. The other is the outpouring of everything good in you, of kindness and consideration and respect not only the social respect of manners, but the greater respect, which is recognition of another person as unique and valuable. The first kind can make you sick and small and weak, but the second can release you in strength and courage and goodness and even wisdom that you did not know you had. You say this is not puppy love. If you feel so deeply, of course, it is not puppy love. But I don't think you were asking me what you feel. You know better than anyone. What you wanted me to help you with is what to do about it. And that I can tell you. Glory in it for one thing and be very glad and grateful for it. The object of love is the best and most beautiful. Try to live up to it. If you love someone, there is no possible harm in saying so. Only you must remember that some people are very shy and sometimes the saying might take that shyness into consideration. Girls have a way of knowing or feeling what you feel, but they usually like to hear it also. It sometimes happens that what you feel is not returned for one reason or another, but that does not make your feelings less valuable and good. Lastly, I know your feeling because I have it and I am glad that you have it. We will be glad to meet Susan. She will be very welcome, but Elaine will make All such arrangements because that is her providence and she will be very glad to. She knows about love too. And maybe she can give you more help than I can. And don't worry about losing. If it is right, it happens. The main thing is not to hurry. Nothing good gets away. Love, Pa. (laughs) Okay, the next letter comes from George Patton Jr. to George Patton III really a letter on how to be a soldier. So I'll just read a couple parts from this one. There are apparently two types of successful soldiers, those who get on by being unobtrusive and those who get on by being obtrusive. I am the latter type and seem to be rare and unpopular, but it is my method. One has to choose a system and stick to it. People who are not themselves are nobody. A little later on, he goes on to say, I am sure that if every leader goes into battle, will promise himself that he will come out either a conqueror or a corpse, he is sure to win. There is no doubt of that. Defeat is not due to losses, but to the destruction of the soul of the leaders. The live to fight another day doctrine. The most vital quality a soldier can possess is, and he puts in all caps, self-confidence utter, complete, and bombicious. You can have doubts about your good looks, about your intelligence, about your self-control, but to win in war, you must have, all caps, no doubts about your ability as a soldier. He goes on to give more advice about being a, a soldier and ends it saying, well, this has been quite a sermon, but don't get the idea that it is my swan song because it is not. I have not finished my job yet. Your affectionate father. Okay. This next letter is uh or William James to Margaret Mary James, sorry. Um William James was uh considered the father of modern modern psychology, a writer, a scientist, philosopher, psychologist, uh but someone who suffered from depression himself. This is him uh writing um his 13-year-old daughter, uh, Peggy, he called Peg, <clears throat> who was uh, staying with friends while he was traveling, actually in Europe, uh, in search of treatment for, his, for himself. And he says, darling Peg, your letter came last night and explained sufficiently the cause of your long silence. You have evidently been in a bad state of spirits again and dissatisfied with your environment. And I judge that you have been still more dissatisfied with the inner state of trying to consume your own smoke and grin and bear it. So as to carry out your mother's behest made after the time when you scared us so by your inexplicable, explicable tragic outcries in those earlier letters. Well, I believe you have been trying to do the manly thing under different circumstances but only learns when gradually to do the best thing. And the best thing for you would be to write at least weekly, if only a postcard, and say just how things are going. If you're in a bad spirits, there is no harm, whatever, in communicating that fact and defining the character of it or describing it exactly as you like. The bad thing is to pour out of the contents of one's bad spirit on others and leave them with it, as it were, on their hands, as if it were for them to do something about it. That is what you did in the other letter, which alarmed us so for your shrieks of anguish were so excessive and so unexplained by anything you told us in the way of facts that we did not know what to do, uh, but did not know, but what you had not suddenly gone crazy. That is the worst sort that a thing that you can do. The middle sort of thing is what you do this time, namely keep silent for more than a fortnight. And when you do write still write rather mysteriously about your sorrows not being quite open enough now my dear little girl you have come to an age when the inward life develops and when some people and on the whole those who have most of a destiny find that is not all a bed of roses among other things there will be waves of terrible sadness which last sometimes for days and dissatisfaction with oneself and irritation at others and anger at circumstances and stony insensibility, etc., etc., which taken together form a melancholy. Now, painful as it is, this sense is for an enlightenment. It always passes off, and we learn about life from it, and we ought to learn a great many good things if we react on it rightly. Many persons take a kind of sickly delight in hugging it, and some sentimental ones may even be proud of it, as showing a fine, sorrowful kind of sensibility. Such persons make a regular habit of the luxury of woe. That is the worst possible reaction on it. It is usually a sort of disease. When we get it strong, arising from the organism, having generated some poison in the blood, and we mustn't submit to it an hour longer than we can help, but jump at every chance to attend to anything cheerful or comic or take part in anything active that will divert us from our mean pining inward state of feeling. When it passes off, as I said, we know more than we did before and we must try to make it last as short a time as possible. The worst of it often is that while we are in it, we don't want to get out of it. We hate it and yet we prefer staying in it. That is part of the disease. If we find ourselves like that, we must make ourselves do something different go with people, speak cheerfully, set ourselves to some hard work, make ourselves sweat, etc. And that is the good way of reacting that makes us a valuable character. The disease makes you think of yourself all the time. And the way out of it is to keep as busy as we can thinking of things and of other people. No matter what's the matter with ourselves, I have no doubt that you are doing as well as you know how, darling little beg. But we have to learn everything. And I also have no doubt that you'll manage it better and better if you ever have any more of it. And soon it will fade away, simply leaving you with more experience. The great thing for you now, I should suppose, would be to enter as friendly as possible into the interests of the Clark children. If you like them, or act it as if you like them, you needn't the trouble about the question of whether you whether they like you or not, they probably will fast enough. And if they don't, it will be their funeral, not yours, but this is a great lecture. So I will stop. The great thing about it is that it is all true. <laughs> Interesting letter, um, written to, uh, from written by a father who, um, obviously suffers from the same kind of depression that she has. And, uh, you know, I, I, I take from that, uh, It's a life that he struggled with and one that uh, he doesn't want to continue to pass down. Okay, so the last letter um, that I want to share with you uh, is written by Thomas Jefferson to um, his daughter, Martha. Uh, At the point that he's writing this letter in 1787, Um, he's 44 years old. Um, He's a widower. And only two of his six children are still living. Um, one of them being Patsy, who is 15 years old, and um, a younger sister, um, Maria or Molly, as they called her, who was um, nine years old. And so this is a letter written um, in April of 1787, Um patsy's younger sister will be um, coming to visit soon and so he says this i have received letters which inform me that our dear polly will certainly come to us this summer by the time i return it will be time to expect her when she arrives she will become a precious charge on your hands the difference of your age and your common loss of a mother will put that office on you teach her above all things to be good Because without that, we can neither be valued by others nor set any value on ourselves. Teach her to always be true. No vice is so mean as the want of truth and at the same time so useless. Teach her never to be angry. Anger only serves to torment ourselves, to divert divert others and alienate their esteem. And teach her industry and application to useful pursuits. I will venture to assure you that if you inculate this in her mind, you will make her a happy being in herself, a most inestim- inestimable friend to you and precious to all the world. In teaching her these dispositions of mind, you'll be more fixed in them yourself and render yourself dear to all your acquaintances. Practice them then my dear without ceasing. If you ever find yourself in difficulty and doubt how to extricate yourself do what is right, and you will find it the easiest way of getting out of the difficulty. Do it for the additional incitement of increasingly the happiness of him who loves you infinitely and whom my dear Patsy, yours affectionately, T.H. Jefferson. I uh, love this letter. I especially love if you have a doubt in how to extricate yourself from a situation, um, the easiest way is um doing what is right so uh that is what i the letter i'd like to leave you with um today um thank you to all of our guests from (laughs) to uh, share these letters um and they all i think have words of wisdom for us um still this many years later and with that uh let me close us in prayer Gracious, loving God, for the written word, um, for your written word, for the letters um, that are written in the Bible uh, for the letters that we write one another, for the letters in history that have been preserved, that um, still have lessons to teach us today. Um, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for the ability to um, share our thoughts and feelings um, with the written word. Uh, I just ask that you put in our hearts uh, those that we that we should be reaching out to and writing to that need to hear our words this day and the days that come. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Well, we hope you join us next week as we begin a new series, uh, Living the Wesleyan Way. It's uh, called The Disciples Path. It's going to be a six week series and we'll be talking about the prayers, presence, gifts, service. and witness. Um, So we'll be kicking that off, Uh, but just uh, letting you know um, to stay tuned for uh, more information about the letter writing workshop that we, Phyllis Murray and I will be um, kicking off soon. Um, Looking forward to digging into um, the reading and writing of important letters. And until then, uh, be blessed and be a blessing.